Thanks, Joan. Thank you very much. Lovely to see so many of you here this morning. So good. And thanks to Pastor Nathan for leading. I should have worn a tie. I didn't know that, that uh, Nathan was leading us this morning. Pastor John o said to me this morning as I was walking in, he said, Neil, your voice sounds a little bit raspy. I said, well, last week I was down in Barrel teaching down at the Bible school. Saturday I taught for six hours, ethnic students at Logan. Sunday morning I preached, so I've been doing a lot of talking recently. And then I thought, no, that's not the reason. It's because I think 14, 15 days ago I went to the Ed Sheeran concert. And for two hours I was just singing my heart out, just going for it. That might be the reason why. Anyway, we'll, we'll get through today, I'm sure. We look in the I Am series in the Gospel according to John, and we come to I Am the Resurrection and the Life this morning from John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Very familiar story. I pray that something new might come out of it for you today. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. And after saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. The purpose of what John records for us here is to tell us that Jesus has authority over death. And John has been preparing us for this. He has mentioned a number of miracles already in his gospel. We've had the case of Jesus turning water into wine, a man unable to walk, being told to stand, take up your mat and walk, a large crowd being fed with five fish and two loaves, and miracle of miracles, a man born blind having his sight given to him. And now we have a person raised from the dead. This is not only to highlight the power that Jesus has over death, but also to prepare the reader, including us, of Jesus' own resurrection. It's as if John is saying to us, don't be startled that Jesus was raised from the dead, because look, he already raised someone from the dead, Lazarus. 
News had reached Jesus that his friend Lazarus was ill. What surprises us, of course, is that on reading this story for the first time is that we see that Jesus doesn't go straight away to see Lazarus, but he stays where he was. I'm sure if you and I, we had a relative or a friend who was gravely ill, we would drop everything, wouldn't we? We would go to be with that person as quickly as we could, but not Jesus. There was a greater purpose in him delaying going to meet or going to see Lazarus. Even if Jesus had rushed off immediately after hearing the news, he still would have got there too late. He could not have reached Lazarus before he passed away. When he did get there we read that Lazarus had been dead for four days and Jesus had only delayed his journey for two the purpose in Jesus delay was to ensure that to everyone who was witness that Jesus uh, that Lazarus was truly dead Jews at the time believed that the person's soul hovered over a person for three or four days so maybe it could be the case that Jesus delayed going so that then they would know the soul truly has left the body, Lazarus is truly dead. It's not a case of Jesus just resuscitating him. Jesus stayed two days longer in that place, so that Martha, Lazarus' sister, might know, that Mary, Lazarus' sister, might know, that the disciples might know, and that you and I might know, that for those who put their faith in him, in Jesus, death is not more powerful than he is. It's true, isn't it, that when we think about death, that it's like a thief or a robber. It snatches us of everything that we have. It comes to us regardless of race or gender or age or religion. And we have no power over it. Jesus has all the power over death. We live in a society today where we try to shield people from death, don't we? I think the current trend now is that, for instance, coffins, right, are not so perhaps frequent in funeral services as they were. It was a point where three generations of family would all live together. And that, to see a grandparent pass away wasn't something unusual, but for us we try to push it away, don't we? Hide ourselves from it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we all know there is going to come a point when we're all going to pass away at some point. And the time for death, to prepare for death, is actually while we're alive. An ancient Chinese proverb says this, better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Death is universal. There is no form, no form of life to which death does not come. James 1.11, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. This story made me laugh when I read this this week of Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, And he had commanded a servant that every morning the servant was to walk in to Philip of Macedon, no matter what he was doing, and was to say to Philip of Macedon, Philip, remember, you must die. And then he would walk out. (laughs) 
What a way to start the day, having that said to you every day, you must die. Not only are we to face up to, of course, the challenges that this life brings, but also then the next also. And if we're to make any sense of life, we also need to make sense of death. For the meaning of life is brought out only into focus when we take into account the certainty of death. And I wonder if that's why the reality of death disturbs us. If life went on forever, then we would say, this is where we are and this is what we are meant for. But death reminds us, this is not our home. We're just passing through. There's another destination that is coming to us. And if this is all there is, just here on this earth, then death laughs and scoffs at us. It says, you're not having the final say, I'm taking you. The end of life seems to be the end of everything that we value, the end of beautiful relationships that we have, the end of possessions that we've amassed, the end of experiences that we've enjoyed. Death brings all of that to an abrupt end. Ecclesiastes 1.14, I see all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. And Solomon also writes in chapter 9, the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice, the same fate comes to everyone. So what do we say when we are faced with perhaps imminent death? Go away, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Leave me alone. I want to stay where I am. Give me some more time. Interesting that in no other literature, no other literature, including the literature of other religions, is it so pronounced as it is in the New Testament that death has been conquered. Jesus passed through death to win victory over death, not only for himself but for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 21 and 22, Let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things are ours, including death, or all things are for our advantage, including death. Paul writes here and he pictures death as being a good thing. St. Francis of Assisi, he said similar words. He said this, Praise be our Lord, through our sister bodily death, from whom no one living can escape. Now that seems absurd to us, seems so strange. Paul thanked God for death. Francis of Assisi thanked God for death. How can it be such a good thing that we thank God for it? If death is the end of us, and there is nothing after death, then it seems strange that we thank God for the end of life. Of course, as we know, the truth is that death is not the end of life. There's another life which is awaiting for us, another life for 
those who put their faith in Christ, that's a glorious life. That will be, I imagine, jaw-dropping, eye-bulging, heart-pumping, brain-exploding, how did I ever get to be here? Jesus, Paul and the other New Testament writers believe with certainty that death is not the end, is not our final state. Jesus said in John 11, 25, 26, those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. If we don't believe Jesus' words, then what hope do we have after death? There is just some kind of wishful thinking that there might be something good on the other side. Just recently they held the memorial service for Olivia Newton-John last Sunday afternoon and I, I just watched the last few minutes of it. But it reminded me of John Travolta's words when first having heard that Olivia had passed away and he said this, one day we'll all meet up walking down the road again. Isn't that a strange concept to think that after death, all, all of us are all just going to be walking down a road, chatting together for eternity. I don't know, that is such a weird thing. What is that all about, I asked. If we don't believe that Jesus' words are true, then we just dream or hope for something, don't we? We hope to meet up with loved ones who've passed away before us or the alternative is that we just vanish we're just extinguished and there's nothing else after that that this is all there is every saturday i buy the sydney morning herald and in the magazine there on the very last page of the magazine they ask people a number of questions on various topics and sometimes it includes the one on death and I'm always interested to, to read what people say. These are celebrities and sporting stars and people of some note. And those who have no faith in Christ, the answers vary towards, you know, this is all there is. There's nothing else. This is just it, life on earth. To, well, I believe in a higher being and I believe there is something, but I'm not sure what that's like until you come to the Christian who says, I will be with God. I will be with God. The words of Jesus only have meaning to us if we believe them and we trust them. And Jesus' words to Mary that day were, your, oh Martha, sorry, your brother will rise again. And then Jesus challenged Martha. He put it on her. He said this, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What's Martha to reply, right? In the face of Jesus. He's asking, do you believe this? Either we believe Jesus and all of our fear is extinguished or we don't believe him and our fear remains. It, the only option is Jesus' word or nothing. The one who promises life after death with him is the same one who died, who defeated death and came out the other side victorious. 
Jesus says, Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death. Paul wrote, 1 Thessalonians, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And John 5.25, the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So the story of Lazarus is the proof that Jesus can raise a person from the dead. He could do it of his own life. John, cha John chapter 10, I can lay down my own life in order, I lay down my own life in order to take, up, to take it up again. Which says to, says to me that Jesus will remember us. His love for us will not abandon us to the grave, that his power will overcome the death that each of us may have to face one day, or will face one day, unless he comes back before then. But then the question I ask is, why do we need Jesus when we take our final breath? Well, the answer is that when death comes to us, there's nothing that we can do. We're totally helpless. There's no remedy that we can change our state of being. The only remedy that God promises is that those who have put their faith in Christ will go on and live and be with him. And that remedy is beyond our power. It's not in our hands. Think about when a person dies, they are totally helpless. The remedy only belongs in God to decide, will I take this person to be with me in heaven forever? Why does God allow us to die and leave us nothing but his word, his promise to save us from death, raise us to new life? This doesn't sound like the action of a loving God, does it? Who in the end determines where we will be, but in fact it is. Death challenges us like no other challenge we face in this life. For death challenges us to put our trust in God, to believe that his word is true. If there was any other way, we would go down that path. But because we only have God in whom to put our trust, to raise us, to welcome us into his presence with joy, says Jude, in a greater way than we can ever experience on this earth, there is nothing else that we can do but trust him. That's why God gives us his word to us. It's in his word that we discover the meaning of life. That death stops us from trusting in ourselves. We like to think, don't we, you know, my life's in control, I've got it all together, I'm making decisions. But death takes all that away. To trust God is the whole meaning and purpose of life. You and I are created to wholeheartedly put our trust in God, the only supplier of all that is good. When we do that, we become the person that God intended us to be. Life only has meaning when it's accompanied with trust in God. 
trusting him for not only the necessities of life, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat and the, and the water that we drink. Trusting him for guidance to lead us into paths of righteousness. Trusting him for blessing. Trusting him daily for all that we need to live a life of godliness. Death in its separation from everything here and now reveals to us the meaning of life, not what I'm able to achieve, but what God is able to give. Scripture tells us that everything that I, ch- I achieve in and, of, in and of myself is just hay, wood and straw, and one day will all be burned up. But the Bible says what remains is faith, hope and love. You will be rewarded by God for your faith. You'll be rewarded by God for your hope. You'll be rewarded by God for your love. Only that which is pursued in faith yields a harvest of true and lasting good. So death doesn't make life a waste of time. It illuminates the meaning of life. To know God, to be indwelt by his spirit, to be available for him to use you every moment of every day is to have life, says Jesus. Faith releases us from that fear of death. I also thought this week, faith also gives a proper perspective to life. When you think of people who don't have a faith in Christ, what are they doing? They're pursuing something. They're pursuing either glory for themselves or they're pursuing money or they're pursuing experiences and they're working so hard, so hard, so hard because of FOMO, fear of missing out, right? They've just got to pack everything in as much as they can because this is all there is. How do you and I, how do we live as Christians? We walk in step with the Spirit, living quiet life, honouring to God, Obeying his voice, giving him the glory for whatever he does in us and through us. And if I miss out, guess what? There's something greater on the other side. Jesus' words are true. I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me and though you die, yet you shall live. So to the Christian, death is not something that we need to be afraid. The grim reaper is not going to come and cut us down to nothing. Death to the Christian actually brings great relief. I'm free from this body that's decaying and decaying and getting older and getting tired. I'm free from the tiredness and pain. I'm free from the suffering. Jesus is going to give me a new body and it's going to be in a new life in a different way. And compared to the little suffering that I endure here on this earth, the weight of glory that God has prepared for me. You've been to funerals of unbelievers and you've been to funerals of Christians. There's a difference, isn't there? There's hope, there's singing, there's joy, there's a celebration of the person's life, not the deep sorrow of they've gone. Years ago, I went to a funeral of one of the newsreaders I used to work with when I worked in radio. And uh, 
the end of this, it wasn't a Christian, wasn't a Christian funeral service. And after people had talked about this man and talked about his life and his family, had talked about, there was no singing, no songs, there were no prayers. And after about an hour, the MC got up and he said, oh, well, that's it. Let's all get down to the bowls club and have a few drinks. Oh, I thought, that's it. That's the end of life. Well, that's it. Let's all just go down and have a few drinks. No, to the Christian, there's that real hope. They're with Jesus. The new life that Jesus has for every person who believes in him comes about because of his own resurrection. If Jesus was not raised, then Paul says, you know, our faith is in vain. But because he has been raised, we have the assurance, we have the confidence, and we have the faith to believe we also shall be raised. Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him. Our hope is in him, Lord. Not what we can do, not what we can offer, Lord, but just our belief, our strong belief that as your son, the Lord Jesus, who was raised from the dead, Lord, we believe it with all of our hearts, so shall we be to a life that is so different from the one that we experience, a life of glory, a life of being in your presence for eternity, a life of joy, and being able to be presented before you faultless with exceeding joy. Father, all this awaits us, Lord, but you have work to do in us and through us while we're here on this earth. So, Lord, use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks, Neil, for sharing God's word with us. What an encouraging word that know that eternal hope that's in Him. We're going to finish with a final song, uh, which is uh, a little glimpse of, of heaven, really. Revelation, where um, they're gathering around the throne, worshipping Him. And so, as we come to sing this song, Worthy of It All, to finish our time, let me read to you just a little glimpse from Revelation. It says this When I saw Him, talking about Jesus, I fell at His feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Praise God for this eternal hope. Why don't we stand together as we sing our final song, worthy of it all. Let's give him thanks, the living one, the first and the last, joining with all of heaven this morning as we worship Him.
benediction. I'm going to invite Neil just to come and to lead us in that. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May you know the love of God in your hearts, the peace of God, may it surround you, and the joy of the Lord be your strength. Amen. Please be seated. I did want to say too, if you're here this morning and you really sense God speaking to you through what Neil's shared, particularly Maybe you've never had that assurance of eternal life. We'd love to help you on that journey, give you some information to help you as well. Do come and chat to somebody this morning, Neil, myself, Brian's here, Joan, we'd love to help you. And do stay for tea and coffee uh, in the courtyard afterwards as well. Can we thank our team for leading us in worship? Sarah, Beck, Karen and Janet as well. And for all the team serving us, be blessed, but do stay for a tea and coffee. And so good to have you sharing with us today.